Hi everyone, this is Darlena Liu and you're listening to Doctors Who Create. In this episode, I interviewed Dr. Charles Black, a general surgeon who graduated from the University of Iowa College of Medicine. In addition to being a general surgeon, Dr. Black is a landscape photographer, writer, outdoorsman, father, and fireside philosopher. He writes about his life at chuckbphilosophy.com and has also served as Doximity's Op Med Fellow since 2019. And he shares his photography at chuckblackphotography.com. Without further ado, please help me welcome Dr. Charles Black. My name is Charles Black. I am a general surgeon. I trained in uh, Michigan um, for general surgery. I practiced for about 13 years in Wisconsin. Then I moved to Colorado for about a decade. And then a few years ago, my wife and I decided to do something we'd planned on doing or talked about doing for a long time, which was uh, using my training as an opportunity to go live in another country. So we're currently living and working in New Zealand. Wow, that's a big change. You're creating a new, <laughs> a new career in, in a different country. How did that come to be? Was New Zealand something that was always on the list? We were in um, Australia, actually. And uh, we visited the Royal Flying Doctor Service there, which serves rural Australia. And when you're talking rural Australia, you're talking amazingly rural out there in the outback. And I thought that'd be kind of a cool thing to do, you know, come down there and work for a year or two, because they bring a lot of foreign doctors in. But the more we talked about it, we thought, you know, with family in that rural Australia, maybe not such a great place, but New Zealand would just be an amazing place to live for a few years. And now we're doing it. Especially during the pandemic, right? Yeah, that probably helped, honestly. It's hard to take your kids out of school, but the school system was so disrupted that they weren't really getting that school experience anyway. So for them, it wasn't such a big deal to make the change. And we thought, well, this is probably our only chance to do this. So we jumped on it. That's really exciting. How I first found out about your work was actually through Doximity, reading one of your essays about good enough is good enough. And this philosophy of sometimes like great can be the en enemy of good or, or yes. this idea of searching for perfection where there are many times in medicine and also in life where we need to figure out when, when we have enough. So can elaborate a little bit more about what, what led you to write that piece? Yeah, well, it, Years ago, when I was in my training, I was working doing a, I was doing a vascular anastomosis with a surgeon who was really very technically skillful and a very good surgeon. And when I got it done, it was a little uneven and uh, I just it wasn't as good as I had hoped it would look. And uh, he said, you know, long as it holds, good enough is good enough. And I, at the time, I was almost offended by the idea, you know, that we would aim for anything less than perfection. But in surgery, you have to balance doing a good job with being expedient. You can't spend all day trying to get every little bit perfect because patients can't really tolerate that. So you've got to learn in surgery, you've kind of got to learn that balance of where good enough is good enough. But it took me a long time to figure out how to apply that to the rest of my life. Yeah. And in terms of creating a balanced life in medicine, I think that's something that a lot of people do struggle with because so much of the track, you're just on that one track mind from college to med school to residency. And I feel like built into the training, there's not a lot of space for, for people to develop that life. So how, how did you create that balanced life for yourself? Oh, I did it entirely the wrong way. I, I did it by not creating a balanced life at all. <laughs> And then, and then um, basically finding out how that just wasn't going to work. I was, uh, I was 
totally dedicated to working and, you know, trying to have the perfect career and putting in big hours and working seven days a week. But then when I had kids, that just wasn't realistic anymore. I couldn't continue with that kind of demand and that kind of pressure. And that was when I realized that some things just had to be good enough and to make room for other things. So a lot of the things that you're doing now in terms of your writing and photography, were these things that you developed later on in life or were these interests that you had as a kid? No, these were interests I'd had all along. I, I'm a big reader. So writing is kind of a natural growth out of that. And uh, I, I, mean, I remember having cameras as a kid, always being interested in photography. The problem was not that I had developed those interests later. The problem was that I put those interests on the shelf when I went to medical school and decided, you know, I needed to focus on serious stuff. And uh, it wasn't until years later, I realized I needed to pull some of those things back out and do more than just, you know, be more than just a surgeon, but start being kind of a creative person and, uh, or being a person at all. And I honestly think that once I started doing those things, I actually got better at my job. Maybe not How technically so? more proficient, but I definitely got better at relating to people and, um, you know, dealing, dealing with the, the emotional issues of medicine as opposed to just the technical ones. That sounds like my line of work in psychiatry. <laughs> so it sounds like you reach this breaking point and you're like, I need to incorporate the things that give me joy and, and motivate me and fuel me back in. And that's kind of the, the tipping point. You write about it in your essay about going on vacation while, while, while sick. Is that kind of the epiphany for you? Yeah. Yeah. I, we, uh, we took a vacation to the Caribbean and before that trip, basically both of my partners were gone. So I was pretty much on call for two weeks straight. And you always get that kind of tunnel vision. Like I, I can do this, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel that doesn't, I'll get through this. But the problem in this particular case was it was particularly demanding two weeks. And by the time I got to the end of it, I had pneumonia. So, you know, convinced that I told my family that, you know, I won't be around for two weeks, but, but then We'll have a week of vacation and it'll all be okay. Well, we went on the vacation. I was sick and miserable and I was exactly not the person I wanted to be for my family. And I came back from that trip and that was when I said, I, you know, something, something's got to change. Was it difficult making, making that change and bringing that back? How did you, how did you navigate that process? It, it was really hard. Um, only because I, I was focused a lot on like concern about what other people would think what other people's concerns would be if they would think I was, you know, being lazy or slacking off. But there's two things I learned. One is, you know, when you're doing two weeks of call, people don't really pay attention to what you're doing or care or notice. And the flip side of that is when you start making more time for yourself, for the most part, people don't really notice or care. <laughs> They're kind of wrapped up in their own things. So there was more space to do what I needed to do for myself than I previously appreciated. And that's you know part of where the good enough comes in. I could still be good enough at my job and still make space to be myself. And when I focused on being good enough rather than being perfect and being always there, in some ways I actually got better. Do you feel like this is feasible before reaching the, the attending part of, of training for most? Yeah, so it's, yeah, residency is, is just, tough. And surgical residency, you know, as you know, they say, we I did my surgical residency in the bad old days, you know, before we had work hour restrictions and that. So, you know, the expectation was that you just 
dropped everything for five years of surgical residency. But the problem with that is then when you leave surgical residency, of course, you're, you've got that mindset of always being there and always trying to be everything for everyone. So no, I, I would really encourage residents to find their own place in residency and start learning how to have a life outside of medicine because it won't be any easier once you graduate if you haven't learned it before. And it doesn't sound sustainable to do that for any prolonged period of time. No, it's not sustainable to, you know, be always on all the time. So you've been a, a writer for Doc Somebody for a while now. How do you usually choose what to write about? What, how, how do you get that inspiration? What strikes your fancy? Yeah, for the most part, it, it's usually something happens recently to remind me of some event or story in the past. And then I'll go back and kind of re- revisit previous experiences I try and look for something where there's, you know, some kind of lesson in the uh, in the story, something I learned from it or something I can pass on to other people so that they can hopefully learn. You know, wis- wisdom wisdom is learning from other people's mistakes rather than having to make them all yourself. That's well said. That's well said. Are there particular articles that you think really resonated with the audience or things that maybe weren't people reacted not the way that you expected them to react? Yeah, for the most part, uh, receptions have been positive, and I'll be honest, uh, almost a little bit disappointed with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you want there to be a couple, more controversial. Times I wrote things I expected would be a little more controversial, and I kind of been expecting to get more pushback than I did. Um, and you can and, stir the pot now if you want to say anything controversial. <laughs> but the interesting thing I found with with writing or photography and putting things out there is frequently the response isn't necessarily what you expect. Sometimes, you know, you put your best thing out there and you're like, this is so good. And it kind of lands flat. And other times you put something out there and you're not, maybe it wasn't your favorite thing and it resonates with other people. So I guess the only lesson I have learned from doing this is just keep putting yourself out there. You never know for sure when you're going to resonate. So you just got to keep trying. You also do some writing on your personal blog as well. Yeah, I have a personal blog at Chuck B. Philosophy. And I also write on the on Medium, medium.com. I'm kind of in several places. I started writing seriously when the pandemic started. It wasn't that I really started writing so much seriously as I actually took advantage of some free time during the pandemic to actually start a website. So I finally had a place to start putting things and posting things. And then... I got invitations to start writing in other places and and uh, took advantage of that. Um, so kind of snowballs, you write some and then people will notice the writing and that kind of encourages you to write more. It gives you more opportunities. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, when I first started, you'd put things out there and they just kind of went out in the void and nothing happened. But over time, yeah, I just see each, each time I do something now, I get seem to get more readers and more response. And you just feel like I'm kind of like residency. You put in your time and build your skills and there will come some point where you're, I don't know for sure where this is going, but it'll go somewhere. Oh, there, there's less structure. I feel like residency, there's a clear endpoint and milestones right. along the way. But here it's like, even with my experience with this podcast, we put out our episodes and we've seen it grow over the years, but there's no, there's no clear like X to Y to Z. Yeah, well, that's kind of the way life is. And that's the lesson you you don't learn well when you're training 
you know, in, in college, you've got your grade point average and MCATs and, you know, these goals you've got to hit to get into medical school. In medical school, you've got to hit these goals, you know, to get a good residency. In residency, you've got to go through these various milestones. And then, yeah, I, I hit practice and I think it was somewhere around six years, really restless. I don't know what, what are the word to describe it. And I realized I'd never been anywhere for six years <laughs> without changing or moving on. Um, it's usually four-year chunks of time. Yeah. 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 It's usually four-year chunks, you know? And yeah, this was the first time I'd ever stayed in one place doing one thing that long. And I kind of got this real restless uh, feeling right then until I understood where that was coming from. Like I expected there to be some next step. But yeah, the problem is when you get out into practice, you're right. There isn't any clear, you know, next step. You're not working towards any specific goal or graduation. And and it's easy to get kind of caught up in the, you know, you want recognition and that from other people, kind of like the way you got recognition with at least graduations and and passing classes and various things before that. But that's not the way it works. And you've got to learn that, that those, those uh, milestones or those uh, pats in the back, you have to start giving them to yourself. Otherwise, it just causes people to compare with others and then push people to these extremes where it's like expecting more and more of themselves without taking a step back. Right, right. And, it, and it's easy to start judging yourself by other people's criteria too. You know, you mm-hmm. see what other people are doing or what other people have and you keep thinking, you know, you, you need to, that must be what I need to do next. Of course, what you need to do next is figure out what you need to do next and then give yourself permission to do it. Have you found that the culture of medicine in New Zealand is any different from the United States? In oh, very different. Very different culture of medicine here. Yeah. And I'm, I don't want to comment too much on New Zealand. I've only been working here for a few months. I kind of promised myself I would take one year of just doing this before I started doing the whole like making comparisons or, or questioning, questioning things. So I've been trying, making an effort not to do that. But the expectations both of what physicians, you know, the dedication physicians are expected to show. I mean, you know, I think we're expected to be just as professional as anywhere else, but the time expectations are more realistic and patients' expectations are, um, I think, more realistic. In the U.S., you know, particularly in my line, I frequently find myself doing things and I kind of wonder why, why are we doing this? We know it's not going to help. But here I find people are much more accepting of the idea that this isn't going to help and we don't need to do it. And for me, that's been some days a hard, hard not to, not to intervene um, because it's what I'm so used to doing. But people here are just more accepting of those facts. I guess I'll be on the lookout in a few months for reflections and, uh, on your blog about comparisons once you have a year in. Yeah, at a year in, I, I, might, I, I was thinking about writing a little humorous piece about some of the differences between New Zealand and the U.S. in general. But uh, yeah, I'm trying, trying not to judge. I think that's because mm-hmm. it would be easy to show up and be like, well, this isn't the way we do it in the U.S. And I catch right, myself right. thinking that all the time, but... Trying. And everyone, it's just one, one person's experience. And I'm sure they're, they're different institutions and different variations across fields. So it's hard to generalize anytime. Right. Yeah. But I have heard of a lot of physicians, especially 
now with the pandemic, leaving medicine or leaving the country. So I, I feel like I've heard many stories of, of this being the tipping point. And I think it comes from not integrating, not being able to integrate this balance because the stressors of the pandemic um, and burnout. Yeah, I think the pandemic, I mean, it hit us all hard at first. I think it was a point at which, you know, we all jumped into it. Like, yeah, you know, we can do this. This is, you know, a challenge and, and uh, we're up for it. But as it drug on and on and on, I think it's been, you can do that for a little while, but then you got to step back. Um, mm-hmm. You can't just keep going. And the pandemic has just required people to just keep going. And I don't know what other people's experiences are. I think they're pretty similar in, you know, really lacking adequate support and adequate equipment, you know, um, to deal with the pandemic. You know, not having adequate staff has just made it even harder for the people who are working. And I, I really, I really feel for people back in America who are still dealing with this. You know, we're in New Zealand. We, I think we had 200 cases, new cases yesterday or some, you know, number. In the entire country. Yeah. And that's, that's a big number for them. Yeah. So they're, they're kind of for the first time expecting to see a wave of COVID strike with Omicron. But the experience here has been completely different from the experience in the U.S. Have you found a community of physicians who have moved to New Zealand from the United States? Or have, are there these communities out there for people trying to relocate? Yeah, there's actually several other um, American physicians working here. Plus, there are, we have a number of physicians from England and Ireland and uh, um, other English-speaking countries. Yeah, it's pretty pretty. Well, I wouldn't say multicultural because, like I said, it's mostly English-speaking countries. But, yeah, there's quite a number of physicians here from different countries who've come either temporarily or permanently to live and work in New Zealand. I guess without going into too many of the logistics, is it something that you've – going through the process of getting – I don't know, in terms of, like, the license and all of that? I know you speak about a little bit on your blog, but have you found that process to be feasible? What's that process like? Like, the the practical – being able to uproot yourself and practice in another country as a USMD. It's definitely doable. Um, One nice thing about working, working with the New Zealand system is although you've got a totally different system, you know, it does require a lot of the same things, which helps. Um, But the, the people I, you know, usually my experience working with bureaucracies is it's a constant struggle, uphill struggle. And, Interestingly, it's I really felt like here they want to help you get licensed and get in. And they helped me through the process, which was good because there were a number of things about it that are just different from the process in America. Yeah, but I felt uh, very supported by, you know, people in jobs I normally think of as being <laughs> not very supportive. I'm glad you had a good experience. Yeah. Was that one of the reasons why New Zealand was high on the list? Just the ease of being able to practice in another English-speaking country. And yeah, well, I need, I don't know, I only speak English, so I needed to find an English-speaking country to practice in. Yeah, mm-hmm. Norway would be high on the list otherwise. Um, mm, yeah. But, you know, a bit, I'll, honestly, a big draw to New Zealand is, it's just, it's an amazing, geogra- geographically, it's an amazing country. I mean, A lot of good photography. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see the ocean from my house. We're an hour from the mountains. There are glaciers, there are fjords. It's like what, whatever you want, whatever you like, New Zealand has it somewhere and it's not that far away. Yeah. Wow. 
you're selling our audience on New Zealand. Everyone's going to move to so. New Zealand. I hope so. It really is. It really is a great country. And once it reopens, because it's been pretty well closed because of COVID, but once it reopens, yeah, I mean, they're, they're in need of tourists and people to, people to fill the, uh, the empty vacation spots that have been sitting here for the last couple of years. I realize we haven't spoken as much about photography yet. So would love to hear a little bit more about your interest in photography, uh, what sorts of subjects you like to photograph and what, what about that really appeals to you? So my interest in photography just dovetails off my interest in the outdoors. So I do mostly landscape, outdoor, nature photography. Um, and I think the two things, you know, they kind of push each other. The photography pushes me to get out and do new things and see new places and uh, photograph them. It's also the environment that I find most relaxing to be outdoors. There's an almost meditative quality sometimes to it when you're, you're like, okay, I'm going to sit here and wait for the sun to either rise or set so I can get the changes in color or get, get it when the light's just right. So there's kind of a meditative quality to the process, which is kind of a nice counterpoint to your days of working in a busy hospital. Mm-hmm. Although I, I'm thinking back to my surgery rotation as a med student. And for me, I feel like there were moments of that that seemed like a meditative experience holding a retractor. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Yeah. I, surgery, is definitely, as- surgery is definitely a flow experience. You know, when at least as the surgeon, when you're when you're in the surgery and going, oftentimes, as they say, you know, time time slips away. And you just drop into that flow state where you're just you're just working and everything's going smoothly. Um, and that's yeah, that is definitely one of the appeals of surgery. So I can see parallels between that and you know, kind of waiting for the perfect like sunset to, to capture or something like that, that flow yeah. state in a different way. Yeah. And writing also has its own flow state when you when you get into it and you're moving through it. And, and flow is probably one of those things we, we underappreciate the importance of. But if you mm-hmm. want to achieve anything, you know, that flow state is what you have to learn how to cultivate. You know, it's like when the, when the basketball player is playing great, they're in the zone. That's, they've hit that flow state where they're not really thinking so much about it. They're, they're doing and Yeah. Trusting, trusting their, uh, their experience to carry them through. Mm-hmm. I think creativity requires that flow state as well. Do you feel like you're able to be creative in the OR? Is that something that is frowned upon given that you're supposed to do things a certain way? Yes. Yeah. So yes and no. I mean, you can't go invent a new surgery on the fly, but oftentimes, you know, in general surgery, at least you get in, you find yourself in situations and you're like, well, that's interesting. I've not seen that before. So how exactly are we going to fix this and get out of here. So some days there is a little creativity in how you handle problems. Um, and it's good to have that in your, you know, to be able to reach back in your pocket and feel comfortable doing something a little different if that's what the situation requires. Mm-hmm. And it comes from all that experience and practice of, of having seen it. comes it from experience. A experience times. Yeah. As they say, yeah, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you getting? Are these all of your own personal isms? Or oh no, that was that was uh, that was repeated to me many times during my surgical residency. That oh, okay. phrase I heard it many times. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. frequently associated with having demonstrated bad judgment. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's about all the time we have. Do you have any last words of advice for our listeners who are 
oftentimes medical trainees uh, who are you know, trying to be more creative in their personal and professional lives. Well, I think it's just important not to dedicate yourself totally to medicine because you're going to need, you need to be, you'll be a better doctor if you're a better person, the long and the short of it. And I think we lose that in training. We get so focused on becoming doctor so-and-so and we forget we need to be a person, but better people make better doctors and better doctors make better healthcare. Or sometimes as I like to say, if you want to build a skyscraper, the first thing you do is you big you dig a big hole in the ground because you got to put in that foundation to hold up everything that comes after it. And frequently, I think in training, we get so focused on building the building, we neglect the foundation. And then we end up with physicians who um, don't have that base to to stand firmly on. So when things go bad, when the wind blows, they topple over. And it's hard so, to go back and build that foundation once you already have a giant tower, right? It's a lot harder to do it. It's a lot harder to do it later. You can do it, but it's harder to do it later. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you've established yeah. a lot of a lot of patterns and behaviors that may be counterproductive. So I would That's say great. we need to tell trainees this more often and repeat it again and again, just like I the would, other. I isms. would agree. I would agree. Yeah, but we need to we need to encourage them to to do more than just become doctors. They need to become people at the same time. I love that. Thank you so much for being on the podcast again. Oh, thanks for having me. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review. We would love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at doctorswhocreate at gmail.com. Or tweet us at doctorscreate. Or check out our website, doctorswhocreate.com to listen to our podcast episodes and also to check out other articles and profiles of physicians who are creative. Intro music brought to you by the band Night Float.